Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Always Never Write podcast, a podcast with adult ingredients just for Gen Xers who are getting to middle age and are wondering how the fuck that happened. Thanks for joining us on the Podfix Network. I'm Jill Farrell. And I'm Gina Biggs with the thunder in the background. I apologize up front for that. <laughs> and anyway. Rules. <laughs> That's right. But our topic tonight, of course, comes courtesy of someone we're really excited to introduce you to. Um, our topic is taking imperfect action, knowing you're going to fuck it up somewhere along the way, and that's totally okay. And thank God, <laughs> our guest is someone who is absolutely not afraid to call someone out for their bullshit or fuck something up. So welcome to the Always Never Right health and success coach, Kelly Travis. Thank you, Gina and Jill. I appreciate you. And I'm so excited to have this conversation and talk about fucking things up and taking imperfect action. I'm pretty much like this is my jam and I can't wait to talk about it because failure is kind of part of the process. Right on. Thank We're you. excellent at failure. That's one of the things we do best. Yes. My, interconnect, my internet connection's already done this evening. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a total win. And honestly, I'll tell you what, Kelly doesn't mess around either. So when we said, what kind of drink would you like to have? She's like, tequila shots. <laughs> and we're like, eh, okay, maybe not shots, but let's have a lovely tequila drink. So we made this beautiful tequila drink. Um, it's silver tequila. It's got Cointreau, prickly pear, which is like a desert pear syrup, and lime juice and ginger beer. Um, I don't... I think we could call it something like we didn't come up with a name for it yet. So we can like think about that as we go. I said, maybe we could call it the decider. Like remember when George Bush was like, I'm the decider, but we don't have to call it that. So first of all, what do you guys think about the cocktail? Secondly, what kind of names you guys think? Well, I'm going to defer to, I'm going to defer to Kelly to go first. Cause oh, that's okay. only polite. So, um, when I drink tequila, it's usually straight, as you um, shared. I, I do. I, I'm one of those people that just really loves tequila, and I'm um, I'm kind of a snob, actually, when it comes to tequila. So uh, that's why I like to drink it, like with some water and some lime juice. But this is really good. It's interesting the the combo of the different flavors, and I was surprised that I actually liked the pear, pear syrup. Yeah, it's a really, it's a pretty color. Yeah. And I didn't know what it would taste like, but it's kind of, it's almost hibiscus-y to yes. me. Like, like a hibiscus tea kind of. I think it's got a really nice flavor. Mm-hmm. Ooh, interesting. You know, uh, uh, maybe we should call it the Vegas Vagabond in honor of Kelly. I Ooh. like it. That's Vegas really Vagabond. Because, yeah. you know, going out desert, you could have like, like what's the thing? The bindle. Like your yeah. bindle. <laughs> right there you go (laughs) all right the vegas vagabond i'm making a note okay me too that's fun i like it i think that's a great name for it and yay i did good i helped look at you smarty (laughs) i think it's a good cocktail and i think it's 
awesome that you love straight tequila. Whenever we used to go to Disney, T has a, a Disney vacation membership. So we would go to Disney and we always spend some time at Upcot and we go to that big pyramid there and they've got a tequila cava there. So you go into this oh. like big tequila cave and they've got all of these million different kinds of tequila. So we always get like a really big sipper of tequila and then they'll have one that you can do a shot and they've got like, here's the shot. And then they've got this little thing of like, I don't know, tomatoey, juicy stuff to go with it, like to shoot afterwards. Oh my God, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. I, you know, what really drew me to tequila, this is going to bring out the like geeky health girl in me, but here it comes. So you might know this already, but tequila is the only alcohol that is not a downer. So, you know, everything like wine and vodka, those all mellow you and probably make you tired and sometimes emotional, right? Whereas tequila is more of a, it lifts you up. Um, So, and it's a good digestive. So it helps, ironically, with digestion a little bit. So I'm like, well, that works for me. Happy and good for my stomach. (laughs) I know that it was an up. Uh, not a downer. Like I thought all alcohol was like a downer, but tequila maybe that's not. why people use like get in fights after they have tequila. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're fired up. I kind of like that. I had no idea. And I find it I incredibly ironic. It's a digestive given that um, Jill was at a party with me in law school where someone it did not affect our friend Kevin's digestive system very well. No, his digestion was not good. I think he threw well, up right over your shoulder, right? Wasn't uh, it your no, shoulder? It, it was our friend um, Kitty. Oh yeah, right over Kitty's shoulder, so. <laughs> just like right over the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, let's but just add to that. Like you shouldn't be having shots after shot after shot for that to be good for your stomach. I don't think he was <laughs> doing like one shot. I think he was drinking it straight out of the bottle. Pretty yeah, so much. Uh, yeah. He, he had he was problematic. So I have a question. What? Uh, so I'm always looking for because tequila is not. I, I can oh, let me back up a little bit. I like testing different alcohols, find out what I like, but I've not had the patience yet to fully test tequila. So can you recommend something that you think is the absolute best tequila that I can go out and try without having to do trial and error? Yes. So I have two favorites that are silver because that's usually a good entry point anyway for people. Um, Yeah. So I love Fortaleza. I don't remember how to spell that. Um, but I can send you <laughs> the link awesome. for that. Um, and then I would say probably my other favorite, gosh, there's so many, like if you like a peppery tequila, Herradura is really good. It's a little bit spicier. Um, and then one of my other favorites is Trace Generaciones. Hener- it's basically generations in our language, um, but it's very good. So those are like smoother, the the two, and then the Herradura is a bit more, it's got a little more of a punch. I've tried the Herradura before. It's pretty nice. Also, I like um, Casa Noble. Yes, that That's is a, a very good one too. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. I like okay, that a lot. I've, I've made all kinds of notes. Now I just got to hope I can read my handwriting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of good ones. 
So I'm excited to talk about what brought you to us and hear like kind of how you got into this coaching gig. Cause that doesn't seem like a normal, I mean, I don't want to say it's like, what's wrong with you, but that seems like sort of an unusual path. Well, uh, the topic of our conversation is, you know, um, fucking it up. Right. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I'm extremely good at that. Yeah. So, you know, like a lot of people, it was through a series of events in my life that led me to this place. I, in all seriousness, I, um, at the age of 19, I think I mentioned to you guys at the beginning before we started recording, I'm a competitive athlete. I went to college on a scholarship as a runner, had a horrible coach, a lot of history of, um, issues with food in my family ended up with an eating disorder. He was really a messed up guy. And a lot of them are, um, like he would come up behind me and grab the backs of my arm and say, Travis, you've got some fat back there. And I did not mean I was a competitive runner. Um, wrote out a contract for me that if I lost a certain amount of weight, I would get these things and just crazy stuff. So anyway, My last race in college, I was an All-American, and then that was it. I was hospitalized for a while. And when I was in the hospital, I literally made a promise to myself because I had to get a pick line put in. It was just a mess. Um, That I would spend the rest of my life basically helping women stop playing small, stop, you know, having these stories about themselves, just being okay with who they are, right? Mentally, emotionally, all the things. I didn't know what that was going to look like. And, you know, like everything else, life didn't exactly turn out that way immediately. I, um, I went to school, studied public health, mental health, did work around addiction, spent a lot of time in that space for a while. And then I moved out here to Vegas and I didn't know what to do. So I was still young and I ended up in corporate for about 10 years. And I was a publisher of a couple of big magazines in town, like, you know, move my way up. I'm competitive. <laughs> you put a goal in front of me, I'm done. Like it's, but I found myself not really happy, right? I was like super successful, checking all the boxes, right? Doing all the things, but following everybody else's dreams and not really listening to what I wanted for myself. And I was so afraid of failure, so afraid of not making other people happy, like all that stuff. And I got pregnant with my um, first son during this time. And I found myself literally on the bathroom floor crying, not because I was happy, but because I was terrified and thinking, okay, now is the time to get your shit together. Like I was in a, an abusive marriage or not. I wasn't even married at the time. We had to go to the wedding chapel and do that whole thing. Like I was, you know, typical Vegas. <laughs> uh, so in between my first and my second son, I did a lot of work and started kind of recommitting to doing this work. And when my second son was about a year old, I asked for a divorce and started my business at the same time. And it has been a whirlwind ever since, but the best thing I could have done. So that's that's the short story. That's really awesome. I I think that that's, I think every woman who has been through sort of similar things hits that time where they're like, nope. (laughs) And then you sort of 
step back before you really plunge into it and you look at all the things in your life and and decide what things you're going to have to do and what things you're going to have to change and what things are you're going to just have to manage for now Mm -hmm. and uh you know i think that kind of goes into what we're talking about because a lot of people won't leave or won't move forward in their lives because they're afraid that well if i do this well it might be bad for the kids or it might be bad for this but i've always been a, a a huge proponent and this is something that I talked to Gina about when she was going through it with her husband her first husband mm-hmm. if you can't show your child how to be happy and healthy what kind of example are you setting for them yeah exactly i think that it's important as a woman especially i have a daughter she had a daughter at the time I think it's important to be able to show your child I'm prioritizing myself and saying that this, this situation, this person, I'm not happy. And if I'm ever going to have an opportunity to be happy, this is not going to do it. Right. And so I'm going to remove myself from this situation and remove you from this situation because you and I can go someplace and be happy together. Mm-hmm. And we're still going to make sure that you get to see daddy because we're all going to play on team Millie or team right. Nina or team whoever. But moving forward, I want you to see me saying the way this person was treating me is not acceptable. Yep. This is yeah. not okay. You're not, that's not acceptable. This, Jill was very instrumental in showing me that you know, removing yourself from a toxic and harmful situation is every bit as much of a victory as sticking something out mm-hmm. and probably more of a victory because yeah. the, the modeling behavior to Nina was what really struck home to me. I'm like, I'm not modeling good. I'm modeling for her what's acceptable and this should not be acceptable. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that holds most of us back or or causes us to wait. You know, like for me, I asked for a divorce when my first son was like two months old, but that's, I didn't follow through with it because I was scared, right? right? Scared of judgment, the shame that I had around it. Like, how could I have ended up in this, right? Um, and just the fear of the unknown and what it was it going to be like. And, you know, I should just be happy for what I have and all that bullshit that we tell ourselves that stops us. And did you think to yourself, maybe it's just postpartum or maybe it's just that I'm so tired all the time or maybe it's just all these other things? Did you question your own motives? I did, but it was because narcissists are really good at that roller coaster. And so, you know, it would be like, you know, argument, I'm so sorry, you're, it's your fault. And then I would be like, is it my fault? Did maybe it is my fault, right? Like that whole thing where it's just a gaslighting thing. Yes, yes. So I rode that roller coaster for a while. And to your point, um, the last straw was a therapy together. And I said to the therapist (laughs) one day, I was like, I can no longer do this. And she's like, Kelly, and you know, they're not supposed to actually tell you what to do. Right. She's like, 
you need to leave him. I know you're staying for the kids, but you need to leave them because of the kids. And I was like, okay, done. And that was it. Like it took just that and I was out. So, yeah. Sometimes I think therapists do a disservice by not telling you that. I think Uh that, I mean, we're there because we need advice. Right. We're there because we need to hear things. I mean, don't just ask me stupid questions. But I actually, in the same situation, we went to marital therapy. When in the first day, the guys all tell me about what you think. And I'm like, all these things. And then asked my ex, tell me what you think. And he's like, I think everything's fine. And then the therapist turned to him and went, well, then clearly all of the problems are you. So he basically told me I didn't have to come back for a while and he would just work with my ex for a couple of months and then I would come back at the end of two months or three months or whatever it was and then we'd see where we were so we did that and I came back and at the end of that time um I didn't feel like anything had really changed and the therapist was like said to him how do you feel and he's like I feel like I've been making all kinds of changes and I'm like are you insane? Like, what have you done differently? Name two things. Two. Yeah. And he's like, well, and he couldn't. And (laughs) so I just kind of held on actually until um, I knew we were going to go visit his parents. I mean, that was already in the books kind of thing. So held on through that. And in the meantime, I gathered all the paperwork that I needed to go see a lawyer, made those arrangements, got all that ready to go. So, and Gina helped me with that. And that way, when we got back from seeing his parents, I was able to call my lawyer and say, okay, ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the interim, I got cancer. Oh, and the God. very first words out of his mouth, when I told him, hey, I have cancer, he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And he came back from the bathroom and he goes, what are you going to do? He didn't say, what are we going to do? He didn't say, we're going to get through this together, baby. Don't worry about it. I got you. None of that. What are you going to do? I was like, oh, okay, cool. Therapy's off. I think, you know, (laughs) we learned so much in those experiences, right? Like I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how did I step into this? Like I'm a strong, independent woman. How did I step into this? And Looking back, I was in a really shitty place in my life and weak and vulnerable, right? But I learned so much coming out of it in terms of what is not okay, what a a healthy relationship looks like, those things. And, you know, it was a hefty price to pay, but it definitely learned, I learned a lot. I think that's something important, though, that everybody needs to keep in mind no matter what relationship you're in, no matter how bad it is, if you get yourself out, Mm -hmm. you have to look back at that relationship and say, every relationship that I have, every person that I'm friends with, every woman, every man, every anybody that I'm friends with, every person that comes into my life brings me to who I am now and who I am today. And Mm -hmm. if I like who I am today, then everything has been worth it. Yes. Because that helps me be a better person. Yeah. But if I don't like who I am, then what do I need to do to fix it to make all of that worth it? Right. Exactly. 
And I think that that kind of goes back to what we're talking about. Like people are so afraid to make the wrong decisions that they don't think about what the right decision might be. Right. It doesn't matter if you fuck it up. I mean, it doesn't matter if you fuck it up. You're going to fuck it up. If you take a wrong turn, you just go around the block until you're going the right way again. Right. And the way I like to see it is like, it's not a failure. It's not a complete fuck up unless you don't do anything about it the next time. Like if you just keep repeating it, then okay, it's a total, you're just not getting it. But if you do something once you've done it that you've learned from and you change course or you pivot or you move in a different direction, then it's, it's definitely a growth opportunity, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I fucked up enough for about 50 people, so I like to be an object <laughs> lesson. So <laughs> everyone learned from my fail. So <laughs> I, I'm biting my tongue big time because I have, I got married in a Vegas chapel. I have the horror stories of all mm-hmm. marital counseling horror stories and I'm like okay not on point just shut up shut up shut up shut up you know what, <laughs> don't, no don't I think you should totally share it I think you should yeah I think it's completely I mean, relevant it's part about fucking up right okay yeah. well um okay so well okay that getting married in Vegas is not a fuck up that was one no, of my that good was decisions. awesome that was completely awesome <laughs> that was husband number two and my oh entire- well that's a good thing yeah. My entire family was jealous because they're all like, I wish I could have eloped to Vegas. I'm like, hee hee, motherfuckers, I did. Yeah. I was there and it was super fun. <laughs> That's awesome. But marriage counseling, I, in my case, I made the mistake of letting my ex-husband pick the marriage counselor. So did I. What was that oh. about? I don't, I think we might have picked the same was person. Was yours a dude? Mine was a dude. Mine was a dude. And he Ooh. was... He... um. I wonder if we went to the same guy. <laughs> Maybe, because he was horrid. He was well, horrid. Clearly didn't help us. No. What <laughs> right, so. got me as we were sitting there, and um, my ex was going on and on about how I want more children. I absolutely want more children. And we, you know, we had Nina at that point, and um, I was like, I don't feel secure having another child under the existing circumstances. Because speaking of narcissists and throwing some alcohol on top and, uh, you know, not philanthropy. Oh, she philanthropy on top. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you know I've had too much drink. I start speaking in typos. That's Um, so and, uh, he was so many kinds of not a philanthropist. Oh my god! <laughs> oh no! Only if he was the charity. <laughs> Shit! Oh my god! Um, okay. Thursday, there the therapist said, "So why not have another kid? Maybe things would get better." And I remember sitting there going, "What the flying fuck? No, that's, that's a terrible idea." I know. At which point, my ex said, "Well, I'm gonna have more children in the next five years. I prefer you be their mother." And I'm like, "Okay, you know what? I think, I think we're about done." Whoa! <laughs> wow! I can't believe that the therapist suggested adding another child in the middle of that. Me neither. It was insane. I'm like, "Yeah, we're not coming back here. We're done." So yeah, there was a lot of "we're done" moments. One of them finally took. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) but I digress. Oh, Oh, that's a drink thing. Everybody has to drink when she says I digress. 
Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Mm-hmm. As part of our drinking game, it's on the website. I love it. I did see that. <laughs> I'm remembering that now. <laughs> what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that women make as far as being tentative in their lives? Oh, gosh. There's so many. I The biggest one that I see is it's such a overused term, but plain small, like, you know, going low on their goals, right? Not dreaming big enough is, is a major one, not asking for what they want and need versus, you know, accepting, you know, we were, we've been brought up in this culture that really kind of tells us that we're supposed to shrink back and be quiet and, be kind and please everybody. And it plays into every aspect of our life, body image, how we view ourselves, you know, in the career space, in the boardroom, right. In relationships. I think that, you know, for me, I definitely stepped into a relationship like that because I didn't, I was not able to use my voice, right. I had like played, stayed quiet and not stood up for myself for so long, And I see that across the board with the women I work with, especially where they have so much to give and can make an impact, but their brain is just like, "Mm, no, you sit down. You, you're, you're not, you know, it's that whole imposter syndrome, right? Like somebody's going to find me out. I'm not perfect enough. I need to wait until I'm perfect and then I'll put myself out there. Gina and I both struggle with that imposter thing to a certain extent. I think Gina has it worse than I do in some ways. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> she and I have talked a lot about not dreaming big enough. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. I'm going to, I'm going to use a very monetary example. Yeah. So we were talking the other day about, she's up for this huge promotion at work. And I'm like, what are you going to do for yourself if you get this huge promotion? Yes. She's like, I might get myself a new car. I'm like, what would you get? And she's like, I'd like to get a really good used Nissan Pathfinder. And I'm like, <laughs> no, that is not no. appropriate. It's still my I goal, though. Really, yeah, but that's not the right thing. That's not enough for you. Mm-hmm. You deserve, like, the Tesla amazingness or whatever car you just sit in that car and you go mother fucker this is unreal where you sit in that car and you're like I feel like a complete motherfucking baller yeah and you're never gonna do that in a Nissan Pathfinder you're especially a used Nissan Pathfinder I also don't want to be intimidated by my own car (laughs) (laughs) gotta be why would you be intimidated? Because you're a complete motherfucker badass. Maybe yeah. that would feed into and help you see it, like your value, right? Oh, look at that. Like, this is my car. I am a badass. <laughs> Do you think Sarah felt like an imposter when she bought her amazing badass car? Oh, yeah. My boss, Sarah, bought these really sexy little infinity two-door lipstick amazing car it looks like when you get in that car it looks like sex on the street it's so fantastic yeah it's awesome no but she's also an empty nester 
Um, it doesn't matter. And uh, she's being practical. This happens. So in um, the work I do, I have a mastermind and I have a, a different group program. And at the start, I ask women to really just think big, right? Like, I want you to just dream big. Like, what is the biggest thing you want in your life? What does that look like? How does your day to day look like? And they get practical, right? Like, oh, well, you know, I could have this. And, and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, like big, we have to dream. It might feel impossible, but we're never going to get close to it if we don't even visualize it. And it's amazing to me how we put a cap on ourselves, right? There's like a set point where, well, that's too much. Uh, there's, it's too much. If you Whereas were a dude, men, they yeah, would not be like, I'm going to get this brand new, amazing spanking job. I'm going to buy myself a brand used Nissan Pathfinder. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if I were a dude, I'd also have an inflated self of importance. No offense to our male listeners, but you know. Dude, what what the fuck is wrong with that? If it's you, you should have an inflated sense of self-importance because look at you. Look at all that you've accomplished in your world. I'm pretty baller, not gonna um, lie. Duh. You need <laughs> to write. You need to write. I have my clients write a badass list because we have to remind ourselves. Because when imposter syndrome creeps in, we start to go, mm, "No, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Like, who am I?" So you have to create a list and write down all the big ass things you've accomplished, overcome. You know, left a really difficult marriage. I would put that one on the list. And then you remind yourself, like, oh, yeah, I am to- totally kick-ass. Like, what What am I talking about? I do deserve that Tesla. <laughs> I'm also irresponsible with money, so I have fears there. <laughs> um, of <laughs> course. <Actually> not. <laughs> but besides that, I think, I mean, I have the imposter syndrome, too. I still feel like there's times at work where I'm like, why would this person listen to me? Because I have no idea what I'm talking about. I literally go to meetings sometimes where I'm like, uh, who is asking questions? Why are you asking me these questions? I went to a meeting last fall and they were like, when would you like this to start? And I waited for somebody else to talk and I'm like, oh, me? <laughs> um, I don't know, nine o'clock on Monday. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, well, first of all, I just made a decision that was going to impact the globe yeah actually impact <laughs> globally and to me that was like mm, I feel like that's above my pay grade and technically it is <laughs> so don't really feel like I should be making that decision but also I feel like you shouldn't be listening to me because I just made that up out of my brain right now <laughs> didn't have anything to base that off of I just made it up because I didn't want to come to work till nine hilarious (laughs) valid reason though I usually come in about 8 30 so I thought let's start it at nine and they're like okay so I'm like all right cool I'll make sure to be here by 8 (laughs) 30 for real don't want to be late for your own meeting right so you know I have that imposter syndrome too I don't I totally don't blame you for having some of that, but I'm working very hard on myself to feel like I deserve this. I go to meetings frequently where people are 
you know, basically spelling things. They're just throwing out letters about like, this is PDP. This is SQ. S-Q-R-T. And I'm like, I don't know what any of that spells, but <laughs> cool. They'll say, do you, think we should do, this? do you think we should do this? And I'm like, what do you think? <laughs> and if they say yes, I'm like, then I do too. <laughs> I think we should totally do that. <laughs> so, you know. I, I think that we all kind of have that that imposter syndrome to a yep, certain extent. Yep. It's... Uh, you know, it's been heavily researched. There's, I actually did a podcast on it not that long ago, an episode on it, but there's, have to go if back you are, if you are a successful, ambitious woman, you are going to struggle with imposter syndrome because you are constantly striving for, to achieve more. Right. And so that's always going to come into play. Typically, if you don't have any of that, you're going to feel less of those fears. So do you feel like some of that comes from, like, I came from this tiny town in Michigan, and I remember growing up, and yeah, I was this dork in school, and I played the cello, and I did all this dorky shit, and I didn't really have very many friends because I was super bossy. What? <laughs> and, no. You know, I know, right? <laughs> so shocking. So as time has gone on, I sort of internalized all of these sort of descriptors of myself. Mm-hmm. Do you find that other women have done the same? They've, I'm a dork. I'm a nerd. I don't have any friends. I have all of these yes. down things about me. I, like I've always known I was smart. I've always known I was capable, but those were kind of my two, like these are the two things I know that are good about me. <laughs> Uh-huh. Everything else is sort of like, oh, but you're also all of these other things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not just the things that you put in your head, but it's our own experiences with other people. So we carry around stories about ourselves that aren't even our stories, right? So as an example, um, we'll just use the whole body image thing since that was part of mine. My mother awesome. and my Nana were both obsessed with their bodies growing up. And so their stories about their bodies became my story about my body, right? So we're so influenced by our parents and our teachers and other mentors and all of those things. And those become like how we feel our, we are viewed in the world and then we live them out. And so it takes work to kind of reverse them or replace them, right? So yes, a hundred percent. I think it's interesting that you keep bringing up that you've brought up the body image thing a couple of times because Gina and I both have sort of the opposite thing. Um, For me, I grew up just sort of a normal sized person. Mm -hmm. And then I was a college athlete also. Uh, And then when I hit 22, I had an injury and I went and I got really fat and I was fat after that like pretty much forever until I had weight loss surgery and that changed my life. Yeah. And the weight loss surgery has been instrumental into me really changing the way about how I feel about my body. But I've always been very careful about saying to Millie, not, Oh my God, I look so fat or, Oh my God, I need to lose weight because I'm fat. I always wanted to tell her, 
I think it's really important that I want to be healthier. Yeah. That's why I had the weight loss surgery is not because I wanted to be skinny. It's because I wanted to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And I was very careful about talking to her about healthy and making healthy choices and things like that, because I didn't want her to have like body image issues associated with whether or not she was fat or thin or anything like that. And I, and I try very hard never to talk to her about her weight or anything like that. Let's just talk about making healthy food choices and yeah. and that sort of thing because I don't want her to have those kind of hangups. Yep. Yeah. I think that's great. And I know on, on uh, in my family, the family joke is um, the women in my mom's father's side of the family is they're healthy as, ho- uh, healthy as horses, but big as houses. Um, I mean, perfect blood pressure, perfect cholesterol, Diabetes doesn't hit until at least the age 70, but they were all at one point over 300 pounds in their life. And my mom very much tried to overcompensate. And my mom, I mean, we talk about how she gives pudding hugs. She's practically a saint. She's She's so lovely. She's one of the most lovely. Oh, I know. One of the most loving people you'll ever meet in your life. But she put me on my first diet in second grade. Mm. And that definitely impacted how I saw things for the rest of my life. And she did not mean any harm by it whatsoever, but it very much made me think, I'm going to approach this with Nina a completely different way. And it's why every once in a while I call my son skinny because he's a rail. Um, And I feel guilty about that because I'm like, I don't want to body shame him either. Oh, my gosh. And now I feel like I'm (laughs) overcompensating in every conceivable (laughs) direction. So... I think it's funny that this conversation is about fucking up. And I think we, we try so hard not to fuck up our kids, but you know that there's going to be something we do. I mean, they're in some way, whatever we're trying to communicate (laughs) is not going to land well. Right. Right. So we also have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, both Gina and I have kids with special needs. Gina's son has, um, he's on the spectrum my daughter has Tourette syndrome, which okay. is an adventure in itself. Yeah, I have a friend with a daughter with Tourette's. Yeah. Millie is one of the 2% who actually has cursing tics sometimes. So it's phenomenal. Like yesterday she was on a tick high. Like she was going crazy. She's all, what the fuck? I'm a clam. And uh, <laughs> she says the funniest shit. So we try really hard to just sort of laugh with her and if she I, I watch her face very closely to see if she thinks whatever she says is funny yeah and if she does then I will laugh and if she's yeah. if she's anno- or uh, unnerved by it I'll I'll say it's okay everything's fine it's not a problem you know she went through a time where she would have these ticks where she would stick her middle finger up like really high in the air like at the top of her hand and I would just grab her hand with my hand and just be like, Hey man, it's all good. We're just walking here. It's all good. Oh my (laughs) gosh. She couldn't put it down until it was ready to come down. Yeah. (laughs) That's how it is. And we try so hard to just let her just take what you're going to take, man. It's how it is. Her school has been phenomenal with it. You know, if she takes what the fuck, I'm a clam. She's ticking that. It's fine. And if she takes, you know, she's the only kid who can take fuck you to the teachers and get an award for student <laughs> of the month or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
And then there's she just has old, such a great attitude. Then there's some mean old honorary ants who try really, really hard to get twat waffle to stick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gina uh, had Gina had Millie over to visit for a little bit this week, this past summer, and uh, taught her twat waffle. And now every once in a while she takes twat waffle. But Gina also has this habit of of going, hmm. And now Millie takes. Hmm. Oh, really? So yeah. is it stuff that she, I don't know how all of that works, but is it just things that they latch onto? It's stuff that she hears someplace. She can just hear it. She could be walking down the road and hear somebody say it. Okay. And it will just clonk into her head and it can happen a month after she hears it. Okay. Like she was walking through the halls at school and she heard some kids say the N word. And then all of a sudden, like oh, a month geez. later, she started taking that and she couldn't go back to school because of it, because she couldn't be in the population when she's taking that. No. So she actually ended up spending like two months, three months home because she couldn't stop taking that. And usually they actually kind of like travel through her and phase out within okay. a few weeks, but they'll come like, she has sort of a greatest hits album. Okay. <laughs> like. One of them is like the what the fuck I'm a clam. She also says, and she says things the exact same intonation every time. Like what the fuck I'm a clam every time. Or Jerry Seinfeld in the B movie goes, do you like jazz? Oh yeah. She says that exactly that way every time. And she'll be just like, what the fuck I'm a clam. Do you like jazz? And it's all sort of strung together. And it's like seriously the funniest thing because whenever it happens, it, just comes out of nowhere because she'll just be talking and then she'll be like, do you like jazz? <laughs> and does she know like after it's happened that she did that? Yeah, she does. She does. Okay. Yeah, she does. But she doesn't know before it happens that it's going to happen. Right. Okay. Interesting. And I'll admit, I mostly wanted her to long-term learn a really great insult. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel bad that she picked up the, hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm totally like, that's what I feel the worst out. about. Which, what's that say about me? I'm mm-hmm. that's problematic. The twat waffle is okay, but the mmm is not. <laughs> it's not well, she mmms a lot for no reason. I, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Hilarious. But uh, in general, if you had one thing that you would wish for women, I'm going to ask this to both of you. If you had one thing that you would wish for women. That you could just like omnisciently grant to all women. This is the skill. This is the knowledge. This is the whatever I'm going. I'm giving to you. I'm granting this to all women. This is it. What would it be? So I do a lot of work in the mental and emotional health space. So I geek out on neuroscience and all that stuff. Sure. <laughs> Total geek. But I would say that I would want to remove the mean girl from the the brain, which oh, is yeah. the, you know, you basically anything she says is you suck, but it comes in a lot of variety, right? Um, and it's on repeat. You know, we have 60,000 thoughts on average, and 85% of them are typically negative and repetitive. And so if we could just erase that... We would take over the world, really, which is what Do we men need. Have that? Yeah, men definitely have the negative 
um, voice also, but again, different standards, right? Different, uh, expectations. It's, it's, they internalize things a lot different. So it just, but they do have it. So it, it is something that we all have. Women tend to take it to a whole nother level though. What about you, Gina? What would be your thing? What's um, the one piece of knowledge you would just like drop on everybody? Um, well, before I get to that, I just want to say sometime I might have to have you talk to my daughter, Nina, because she geeks out over neuropsychology all the fucking yes. time. Yes. So How old is she? 21. She's studying a, applied psychology in England and wants to do ABA therapy with uh, autistic children. Oh so, my gosh. That's amazing. Yes. So she's eventually going to get a tattoo of a brain with flowers all over it. Um, oh, I love that. So, yes. but I, I think the gift I'd want to give to all women, and that's because I work in a largely male dominated industry it's for us to act like fucking men in this industry without feeling bad about it. Yes. So in anywhere, we should be able to do what men do and not wonder, oh, did I overstep? Oh, no, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Oh, no, people are going to see me as unapproachable now. Fuck that shit. We should be able to do what the fuck we want the same way a man would and it'd be okay. Yes. Let's stop apologizing for existing. How's that? Yeah. Girl, I love that. because. Gina is the apologizer of the world. She apologizes all the freaking time. And I'm like, why are you apologizing? I was bad about that too. And then somebody told me I needed to replace I'm sorry with thank you. So anytime you want to say I'm sorry, you just say thank you for your patience. Thank you for understanding, whatever it is. And then you get rid of that. Ugh. Right. I love that. Girl, yeah. you need to do that. Thank you. <laughs> nice I've never I've never been afflicted with the apology thing which <laughs> is why I was so enamored with her when we first met like, yeah I think that's um I don't know I've just never had that I I've always been one of those people that I've my parents always told me that I was overwhelming to people <laughs> this was the thing that I knew you know mm-hmm I recognize that I am overwhelming. I knew I could, this is going to sound completely conceited. I would walk into a Bring room. I'd, I'd be there with a date. We would walk into fucking Denny's and literally every, we'd walk in the room and everybody would turn around and look at us. I would walk into a party. Everybody would turn around and look at me. And I never understood why I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I just literally walked in the door and people would turn around and look at me. And, and it freaked me out for a really, yeah. really long time. Because when I was younger, I was like, why the fuck is everybody looking at me all the time? And I tried to disappear. I yeah. tried to like, like I would wear blue so I could just blend into the hallways. And I tried to not like, don't notice me. Don't notice me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. But eventually I got to the point where I'm like, this shit's just going to happen. So <laughs> you're going to need to understand if you're going to date me, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> so the room lights up every time I walk in it. So just know that. Just understand <laughs> people are going to look at us and we're going to get a lot of free shit because that happened too. <laughs> I would walk in places and they'd be like, are you coming in here? And I'm like, no, we can't. They're like, nah, come on. <laughs> like, okay, cool. <laughs> so 
it happened to me a lot and I used to not understand it and it used to freak me out. And then I finally got to the point where I'm like, I don't understand this. I'm trying not to let it freak me out, but okay. And now that I'm older and I'm not like the golden child anymore, that was a difficult transition. You know, when I was young and people were like, she's so dynamic and young and look how amazing she is for being so young. And now I'm just like old and people are like, just do your job. (laughs) Okay. This is somewhere where I think I want to point out both of you two in my eyes are golden children, but I'm finally ready to acknowledge I fucking belong with you. Yes, oh and you God, need a Tesla. <laughs> okay, not there yet, but <laughs> I I had a personal victory today. I had a golden child victory, and I will yes. share this quickly. Yes, I had um I have this case coming up where there are a ton of parties involved, and one of the other attorneys called me today and said, "So, what are your thoughts on this?" And I actually said. I guarantee you, I know this issue better than anyone else in the room, and you need to let me take the lead. Yes. And he goes, really? And I told him, yeah, I litigated this particular issue nonstop for a total of six years. I know it inside and out. Follow what I do. And I was like, I just just adulted. (laughs) I just acted like a man. And it felt really good. What was his response? He said, you know what? You do have a lot of experience with that. You're right. I'm just going to follow your lead. And I went, it fucking worked. I mean, it was very, it was a very, it was a 10 minute conversation, but I'm like, I asserted that I do in fact know this better than anyone in the room. And I'll own that. And it was acknowledged and accepted. You do know it better. And I went, Yay. Okay. It worked. I manned and it worked. I mean, oh my God. You know what? You didn't man. No. You I queened. Person. I queened. I fucking yes. queened that shit. You and queened that shit. Here's the, okay, we're going to geek out on the brain for a minute. So okay. your, your daughter probably will like this, but Ooh. so we have this thing called confirmation bias, right? We have this, this yes. part of our brain, reticular she activating loves system. Bias. Holy yes. shit. So we find all these, the brain helps us find all these reasons why we suck, right? We have like a filter. It helps us find all those things. See, look, this is why I suck. This is why I suck. You, and then on the flip side, it also helps us confirm when we are a badass like this, right? So you have to tuck this experience away in your brain somewhere, remember it for the next time. So you can say, oh yeah, I did that. I can do it again, right? I can, and I will. Okay, I'm actually going to make a note um, on that for my affirmation board. And the response from him is confirmation. Like, okay, that was really hard and scary, but I I lived through it, right? The brain's going, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're not going (laughs) to live through this. And and you did. (laughs) So the brain can know that. I know. And I want to say... Now you need to, so you've got that on your affirmation board or whatever. This is something that I, I highly recommend to everybody. So you have like 700 passwords that you have to enter every day. Make every password an affirmation. All of my passwords are affirmations. Every single one. I have one for my login in the morning. It's an affirmation about Millie. I have one for my 
log into my network. It's an affirmation about tea. I have another one for my login to my email. It's an affirmation about me. I have affirmations on every single one of my passwords. So every time I punch them in, I'm doing an affirmation. So I think that's an excellent way to go. Yep. It just reinforces the beliefs. So yes, a hundred percent. I love that so much. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's super important. And I think you should find a way to incorporate this day, this feeling, this I can do this, I am this uh-huh. into something about your daily life. I uh-huh. am this. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. you know what? I have an affirmation work password that's one of my professional goals. That doesn't go away too much because it can be nope. any number yep. sure but i'm gonna work that in even more so work it in a second i mean i'm sure you have more than one work password that you have to punch in every yeah, day they're, because they're all like really six. good triggers note to self okay got it okay so i think i'm kind of sensing a theme in our projects now and it's it's kind of amazing but it seems like we're sort of moving into a space where we're taking care of women and each other mm-hmm. and i think your mission really fits into the things that we sort of talk about on the regular. Yes, I love this conversation. I loved actually learning a lot more about the two of you through this conversation and your fuck ups, but also your growth opportunities too. So (laughs) thank you for having me. I think it's obvious from this conversation that I'm kind of obsessed with empowering women to just take ownership of their lives and step into a bigger place personally and professionally. And that's why I have the programs I have and everything else. So thank you. I think that's wonderful and fantastic and lovely. And I think it's wonderful that we have women taking care of women. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of that whole part of part of that whole, it takes a village thing in some ways, you know, it doesn't just take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to support each other and to be just in the world. And especially in this day and age with everything that's going on and especially with all this COVID bullshit that everybody's like, come on, man, we have to take care of each other. So, yeah. (sighs) Yeah. And just feeling safe and comfortable asking for help and support. I think we struggle with that, right? We're supposed to be able to do it all. Sure. And acknowledging that we are actually stronger together. I still blame Claire Huxtable for all that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Okay, well, uh, I don't know about Claire Huxtable, but anyhow, <laughs> sorry. our website is alwaysneverwrite.com. You can find the topics for each episode along with the recipe for the beverage. The Contact Us page has all the ways you can contact us because, duh. So if you have ideas for topics, questions you want answered, drink suggestions, you want advice, um, use one of the ways to get in touch. You can email, slide into the DMs, hit us up on Facebook. We've got all the things. Oh, we do have all the things. And obviously, since you know how to find us, um, you should plan to spend a little quality time telling your friends why they should listen to us and that they can find us wherever they get their digital media. And finally, we really, really want to thank our special guest, Kelly Travis. Please find her on our social media 
Insta, Facebook, Twitter, and check her website at kellytravis.net. She's got a podcast and she literally does all the things. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed this. I appreciate this conversation and how real and raw it was. These are my favorite. Um, And I guess if, you know, if anybody wants to learn more about what I do, definitely check out my website. I'm enrolling in my current mastermind right now, which is a year-long experience for badass women like the two of you who are ambitious, overwhelmed, want to have some support, accountability, and just a fantastic group of women. It's called Ascend. And then if you want some free stuff, you can grab the link that these ladies are going to provide. And I have a current freebie. It's called um, Five Positive Ways to manage your overwhelm or emotions, something like that. But it definitely speaks to what we've talked about. Um, And then my podcast is called She Doesn't Settle. So thank you. Best podcast name ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, except always never right. Right. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. Second best podcast name ever. (laughs) But we will absolutely put the links up on our website. Look for the links you love. And this has been a fuck yeah, we can do that episode of always. Never. Right. I'm Jill. And I'm Gina. And thank you so much for once again making us a part of your week. We'll talk more next week, models. And thank you for joining us on the Podfix Network. Standard disclaimer. Always Never Write is in no way, shape, or form performed or produced by professional advice givers. We've just lived a lot. So if any of our life experiences prove useful, we're happy to share, especially if we can share in an entertaining way. But if you have serious problems, please see a therapist, doctor, psychiatrist, life coach, or someone who is actually trained to know what the hell they're doing when passing out advice. Also, please note that most names and the descriptions of many events have been modified to both make things more entertaining and to protect the innocent, the not-so-innocent, and the flat-out guilty as sin assholes. <laughs>